It's been just over 18 months since the new Residential Tenancies Act has been implemented. How has it been received? What are the trends in investing? What are the vacancy rates like? How has it rocked the real estate industry? Are property managers feeling a little more relaxed with knowing what is expected from them? We are going to talk about all this and more with our favourite property manager, Sophie Lyon, on today's episode. You're listening to Real Estate Right. Top experts talk about how to buy, sell, rent and invest right. Your host is Sue Langder. Real Copyright is Melbourne's go-to real estate copywriting service with over 28 years' experience in real estate advertising. We know the current trends, the architectural history, the council regulations, but most importantly, what buyers want. If you are nervous about selling in a buyer's market, get real copyright to get your copyright as we attract more buyers to your door and get the hammer down at your auction. Sophie Lyon is a director and the General Manager of Property Management of Jealous Craig Borundara, Director and Accredited Trainer of the REIV and oversees the management of over 2,500 properties. She has been helping our Real Estate Light listeners with all their property management needs in clear and concise fashion over the last two years. Welcome, Sophie. How are you today? I'm really well, So How are you? Yeah, really well. Thank you. It's Friday. Yay day for us. Yay. Yay. Yay, Friday. So now how has property management been since the onset of interest rate rises? Uh it's it's been an interesting um environment, I've got to say. We're we're certainly starting to see a lot of that. Um, a lot of stuff that's been in the media about how, um, you know, the, the rental crisis, et cetera, et cetera, which did take a bit of time to get to Melbourne because we had mm. a lot of stock, a lot of, you know, pre-COVID or, you know, mid-COVID stock that was sort of sitting around. Um, that's all starting to get soaked up now. Um, and the interest rates are, are certainly starting to impact um, our, our owner clients. So they're wanting to see more of a return from their properties, um, on their, their investment properties. And so they're starting to, to look for higher rents, um, which is having a wonderful knock on effect. I'm yes. being very facetious with the wonderful, um, <laughs> in that, in that whole market at the moment. So it's a, it's a really different from 12 months ago to mm. now. It's like the, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Completely, yeah. completely different. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, so today's topic is really about the um, updates on, any, on the Residential Tenancy Act. Mm-hmm. Now, it's been in place for about 19 months now. Mm-hmm. So what changes have happened to iron out any creases in the Tenancy Act? I, I wouldn't say there's necessarily any changes that have happened because it's mm-hmm. basically, you know, the um, the the Residential Tenancies Act is is almost exactly what it was you know so they're yeah. not they're not making great attempts to try and um try and iron out any of, of the creases as you say it's more yeah. that um we as industry professionals and our um and our clients we've, we've just got to kind of try and find our way within it all um so i think that's been that's been tricky for a lot of people because you've got property managers who are still trying to get up to speed with all the changes. Yeah. Um, and then you've got um, got a lot of clients who 
don't understand why they're now being told you've got to you've got to spend this, you've got to fix that, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. Um, so it's it's yeah, it, it has taken quite a while, I think, for things to settle. A lot of things are completely normal now. Yeah. Um, but there's still a lot of things that I think make people stop and go, oh, hang on, I better go and better go and read a little bit more about that or ask someone about that. Yeah, if you have enough. Now, I read some stats that pre-COVID, 38% of mortgages were held by investors. Mm -hmm. And by March 2021, that had dropped to 22%. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a lot of people leaving the investment property market. Have you seen a bit of a comeback with investors? Uh, not just yet. I think yeah. that it's still, it'll be a little bit slower. Um, I think, you know, the, the, the changes to the demand in the rental market are certainly starting to see better returns for clients. So I think mm-hmm. that they will start to, um, they'll start to come back because the return on investment, um, with, uh, you know, the, the growth of your asset and also the rental return, um, if you can have both of those paying off for you, then obviously it's a great thing to to buy a property. Um, mm. And so I think that the investors are going to start coming back, but it's still going to take a while, I think, to balance up the number of investors that chose to sell um, over the past sort of 12, 18 months, um, mm. simply because the market was doing really well and so they took the opportunity to sell their investment property. Mm. Um, so I think it'll it'll take a bit of time to pick up that lag I think yeah I think it's it's really trying to find those long-term thinking investors whereas you know any new investors have such short-term thinking and you know they can't get over the fact that you know interest rates up this high or they can only get this much for their you know it, it's back to that negative gearing thinking rather than the positive gearing thinking yeah. isn't it yeah I think that the interest rates were so low for so long I mean it's it's ridiculous amount of time that there's, so there's basically a whole generation that have grown up with yeah. interest rates at, at that, you know, real minimal level, you know, like, you know, yeah. 1%, 2%, things like that. Um, and so to actually now be looking at the rent, at the um, the interest rates at the levels that they are, I think a lot of people are, it's taking a while for them to just adjust. Um, mm. I think they're, they're happy to do it if they're buying their own home. And we're mm. certainly not seeing around our area anyway. We're not seeing a great lag in um, in homeowners buying, um, no. but it's just taking a little bit of time for people to adjust to the, you know, the levels of um, of interest rates for that they're going to have to pay for investment property. Yeah, fair enough. Um, now, overall, most people look at the new changes in the Tenancy Act as a win for tenants to ensure that they have a safe and comfortable place to live, mm-hmm. raising the standard of acceptable quality. Mm-hmm. Do you think it has backfired a little as made investors not want to invest more, raise the cost of rents during the demand? Um, I've got a lot of questions happening here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so do you think that it has backfired a little bit or not? Um, look, this was this was actually something that um, the, the REIV put in their submission to government um, when they were looking at making the changes to the Residential Tenancies Act. And we did did send out a warning to the the government that there was a strong possibility that we were going to start seeing investors exiting the market because of the, you know, the the additional cost to them Mm. um, in having to to make these changes to the properties. Now, I'm, I'm not disputing for a minute that, the um, you know the essential um, like the minimum standards and the safety um, checks that need to get done all of those kind of things 
that they're all they were done with good intention to make sure that the properties were safe and habitable, etc. Mm. Um, but I think there's certainly a level of client that um, and a lot of the mum and dad investors that you know they've got they've got the one property that they bought for their um, to contribute to their super, um, and they they both work they work hard um, and having to put more money into their property uh, without necessarily seeing an immediate return that's been a real struggle. Yeah. Um, and I think also the the upfront costs that we're telling people they have to put into properties when they want to put them onto the market. Mm. Again, they're, they're somewhat taken aback by that because it's like, yeah. but the house is fine. I've lived here for the last five years. It's perfectly fine. It's like, well, it's not because you need to upgrade your switchboard. You need to, you know, meet the minimum standards. You need to do this. You need to do that. So there's a there's a different level of expectation around yeah. what you expect to see in a rental property compared to what you would um, allowed to live in um, yeah. if it's your home. And I think people are struggling to make that, um, to sort of to understand that. And I think that's also something that's pulling people back from from deciding to invest rather than just sell, take the money, buy elsewhere, move on. Yeah. Um, I was actually reading something because I've, I've been looking not to invest, but I've got a couple of clients at the moment who are very much into the NDIS space and buying properties that are robust enough to supply for disabled mm-hmm. needs or mental health needs and all that stuff. Yep. Um, and apparently, like, there's a talk, and this is the knock-on effect, that there's something like 22,000 people in hospital beds at the moment mm-hmm. who are in hospital beds because they've got not the proper accommodation to live in in the outside world. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, with the care that they need because it's yep. not the right housing out there for them. Yep. Which is insane. That's a massive stat, isn't it? Yeah. So, wow. yeah. So, as I said, knock-on effect. You know, the government is putting money and resources into creating homes that are for NDIS slash mental health slash domestic violence slash all that yeah. stuff, but yeah. just not for the everyday person. No. You know, and I suppose the whole, whole cost of increased rents for the average person is going to create that mental strain and also put them into that system. So mm. it's, it's just like this roundabout do you know what I mean like it's it's just yeah yeah one problem causes the next problem causes the next problem causes the next problem it it does yeah. and you sort of you solve something over here and yeah and there's still something going yeah. on over there and there's still something going on over there but I think the um no. like no one expected yeah. COVID I get that um but the um the amount of um, of government housing has obviously reduced down extensively over the years, and now they they have committed to building more, which is yes. great, but that's still going to take time. And they have pushed the responsibility of picking up the slack about that back onto mm. the private rental market. And now that that's yeah. constricting, that's yeah. created exactly that issue, hasn't it? That you know you've got you've got all these different people that rely on. The rental market and the supply just isn't there yeah. for a myriad of reasons, um, and it, it is creating huge knock-on effect. You're exactly right. Yeah, yeah. And like I remember when my mum and dad had a couple of investment properties in Glen Huntley, and they were just in those old daggy '60s buildings, um, you know, twelve to a block sort of thing. And 
I think their body corporate was approached by the government, oh, we'd like to integrate people from, you know, public housing into these blocks of apartments. And, you know, we have to have consensus from, you know, the whole block to say if it's okay or, you know, which landlords would be interested in doing it. You know, you get extra money, but it's, you know, the the negative is that, you know, the maintenance might be a bit higher, all that sort of stuff. Um, So it's not something new, but it's still very prevalent in our needs, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, um, there was a block of apartments that I, um, look after in, um, South Melbourne and right next door, there was a block of apartments. It's actually, it's owned by the government. Um, and they're all like really, um, you know, decent one bedroom flats. Uh, and for a long time, they put people in there that were, um, probably, no, 70s, 80s, um, and needed accommodation for you know whatever reason, and so the it was well maintained. It was looked after. Everyone was fine with it. And then they changed their the government changed their housing strategy or whatever it might be. Criteria for people. Yeah, and just <laughs> started. I, they just sort of picked people up and just threw them. They they had they took no um, consideration of the demographic that was living around there Um, and it created so many problems and that you know the um, theft skyrocketed and you know Mm. all of these issues started coming out um, and it was a real challenge Um, so I think I think that that's part of the reason why a lot of people would go oh my god you know no I don't want I don't want to live next door to that yes Um, because there's some you know 99% of people want to do the right thing and then there's just that element that just don't care um and the condition of those apartments when they moved all of those tenants out it was you could see it and it was just like oh my god that's yeah it's it's yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. we'll we'll go to our listener question now now sally from footscray wants to know if her landlord is waiting for his plumber's son to come fix a leaking tap after hours after he's finished work is that acceptable um okay so a leaking tap unless it's absolutely you know uncontrollably yeah spewing water everywhere is yeah. not in and of itself an urgent repair okay so um an urgent repair needs to be done pretty much straight away you've normally got like you know 24 48 hours if you need to um to get certain parts or whatever it is but these things have to be attended to yeah non-urgent repairs the owner's got 14 days um to attend to that if and really the owner has the right to organize any tradesperson that they want to yes um they are supposed to come through um during business hours but Mm -hmm. if it's in the tenant's interest to get the work done um as long as they're not asking for access like nine o'clock at night i mean if it's like five o'clock in the afternoon or something like that um then that's that's it's not unreasonable but if it went on for months and months and months that his plumber son couldn't come and do it that you know that is not right but if it's a week maybe two um then yeah unfortunately the owner does have the um does have the right to organize that yeah okay cool to combat the uh sense of affordability for homes Mm -hmm. um I'm not sure if you are aware of this, but there was a trial in four local government areas earlier this year to put granny flats in properties over 450 square metres. They believe it all worked really well. Do you think it's too little too late as the demand for granny flats may be overwhelming the 
already stressed building industry or do you think, you know, well, we've got to start somewhere? No, I, I, yeah, I would say we've got to start somewhere, but I would say it's probably a drop in the ocean to what is mm. actually needed. Um, mm. But then, you know, little sustainability me goes, oh, my God, that's such a great idea. I mean, I you know, <laughs> love the tiny house movement and all that kind of yeah. stuff. I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing um, that, that shift in thinking with people that, you know, you've yeah. got to have this massive house on a, you know, quarter acre block and that's your strange dream going down to these, you know, teeny tiny houses that people can actually exist in quite happily. Yeah. So I think that's really cool. Mm. Um, there's a lot more construction that's needed. Mm. So um, if you're talking about, um, you know, uh, the, the, the older element of, of the population who might, um, might be comfortable in that granny flat environment, then great. Yeah. Um, even if it's, if it's, yeah, I, I would think there's probably a whole lot of people actually now that I'm saying it that would be quite comfortable in that. Um, well, it's, it's, it's a nice little stepping stone for like moving out of home. Yeah. Um, it's also great for sometimes you, people who have moved out into, you know, country areas, but then work brings them to the city four or five days a week, then yeah. they, you know, could have a place with infrastructure around them. And I think that's mm. the thing. It's the infrastructure. It's, yeah. it's, it's stops, stop the spreading of, of, um, of Melbourne geographically. Yep. And keeping people closer, you know, into the areas that are already serviced by train, transport and shops and shop, you know, yeah. all that stuff. I, I, I do think you've got to start somewhere and I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but it's, um, it's obviously going to only be able to done and be able to be done in a certain area, um, you know, with a certain type of home, certain yeah. size of property, et cetera. Um, yeah. so that in itself is going to be limiting, but hey. Yeah. Well, the, the trial was in two Melbourne, te- um, suburbs and two, or two Melbourne municipalities and yep. two country ones. So it was Kingston, uh, Moreland. So, yep. uh, yeah, um, I believe it was Bendigo and Murrindindi, I think. Yeah, um, they were where the trials were done. But they said it was quite successful. Like, obviously, Kingston is more still a lot more family-sized blocks or suburban mm. blocks. Could, yep. um, Moreland's probably a little bit less, and it's a smaller um, municipality as well. But, yep. um, yeah, I think they believe it was successful and they're going to start um, making it happen. So it's fantastic. Be, yeah, but still, it's a hundred grand for a granny flat to build. Which I don't think. Yeah, that's yeah. But then, I mean, what's the return on them though? What's the rent that they get on those? Oh, you could probably get to hundred, two fifty a week, but you know, including utilities, maybe. Yeah. Oh, that's not so bad. And yeah. it probably also. It, it kind of creates a bit of a sense of community as well. I mean, it might mm-hmm. be it might be nice for um, some people who aren't quite ready to, you know, leave their home and downsize, but then they've got the ability to have somebody kind of yeah. there in the backyard in case something happened. If they were that sort of, you know, they yeah. have that kind of relationship, then that's kind of nice. Yeah, it's a bit like you know the downsizers who like I still love my home. I still love where my location is, but I'm a bit lonely. Yeah. Chucking a granny flat in the back and you've got a nice neighbour. Exactly. It's kind of like having a border but not because they're out there in your house. (laughs) And it wouldn't be too hard to do like a little fence just to sort of show, you know, where their space is and you keep yours if you need it. Yeah, absolutely. A little fence, yeah. Yep. 
Anyway, I was going to say we're a bit doom and gloom, but we're not. There are lots of positive things happening out there. Um, So we're going to have a bit of a small break, and when we come back, we will talk about the proposed online bond system and how it will make lodging your bond and having your bond returned easier. You're listening to Real Estate Right. I'm your host, Sue Langada, and I'm talking with the lovely Sophie Lyon from Jealous Craig in Borandara about the impact of the Residential Tenancies Act and the new online bond launchment system. So, Sophie, we're hearing a little bit on, about this bond launchment system on in through the media. So what is it and what will it do? Effectively, what the RTBA is trying to do is um, is streamline the whole process. So at the moment, tenant decides that um, they want to apply for property, they're successful, they pay their first month's rent and their bond to the agent, and then the agent moves that money over to the RTBA. Mm-hmm. The RTBA then sends a confirmation registration email to the tenant. The tenant completes that, goes back to the RTBA, um, and then the, the bond is um, is held there. Mm-hmm. So their intent is to cut out the tenant having to pay the bond to the agent yeah. and just pay it directly to the RTBA. So that whole transaction is done directly, um, which they're thinking will make it a bit quicker and a bit more effective. And then once the bond has been paid to the RTBA, the RTBA will send the information to the agent and say, here's the bond number, here's the amount that was paid. Um, And they're they're also proposing that they can um, get a... um, uh, an API into most of our um, trust account systems, so they'll be able to just pump that information straight in. Okay. Um, so it, it, it's really just um, taking us out of the equation yes. um, and making it a lot quicker and simpler for um, for the tenants to understand what's going on as well. Nice. So when do you think it will become available? I was actually speaking to the head of the RTBA earlier this week, and I. I think they're they're hoping to get it through within the next sort of like six months but I don't think they've actually got a a hard and fast time frame that they're working on at this point okay in essence like it's going to help our renters because it's it's just taking one person out of the loop but is there any other way it's helping renters um I think it'll it'll probably bring a bit of visibility to the transaction as well um Mm. because they're you know, it's it's not it doesn't happen a lot, but it certainly has happened that um, tenants have paid bonds to agents they've never been lodged. Um, you know that you don't yeah. want to say that you know, people do the wrong thing, but unfortunately, people do the wrong thing. Um, so I think that that's that's probably about you know number thirty on the list of why they wanted to do this because yeah. uh, it's not very common. But the tenants they they pay the bond to the agent and then. They have to wait for that information to come from the RTBA so they know their bond has been lodged. So I think there's that nice visibility that the RTBA is holding the tenant's money. So the tenant yeah. just pays the renter, excuse me, um, just pays the you know bond straight to the RTBA and it becomes a direct transaction that way. Mm, nice. Um, and in terms of time, how much time do you reckon it would save the old uh, property manager? Uh, look, it, it, it's not the property manager so much, probably the trust account manager, to be oh, honest, yeah. because they're the ones that um, you know that, that send the request more. out, receive the money, 
wait till it's cleared funds, then send it off to the RTBA. Um, so, look, I, I'm not going to say it's going to be earth-shattering, the amount of time that's going to save us, but, um, you know, like like the granny flats in the backyards, it's kind of like got to start somewhere and every little bit helps. So, yeah. Yeah, well, if you, if you think, you know, say you're processing 30 properties a week, a trust accountant, like if even if it was like 10 minutes yep. per problem, that's... 300 minutes. Yep, exactly. And think what you can do with 300 minutes. It's almost a day's worth of work. So many things. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm trying to work out what three and a half minutes is, to be perfectly honest. I'm seeing, I don't know, what's that? that 300 minutes, what? what's that? 300 minutes? Oh, that's five hours. Thank you. Yeah. So as I said, yeah. it's it's probably a day's worth of productive work. It's Friday. My brain's not functioning. <laughs> So is there anything else we need to know when it comes to the new bonds or we're, we're still a little bit anticipating? Um, the, the only thing probably to touch on around um, around that automated bond process is just coming back to the changes to the RTA that the tenants can um, request their bond to be returned. So they can they can put a bond mm-hmm. refund request, return request into the RTBA. Um but what we are finding a lot of um, a lot of tenants are doing is we've made an application to VCAT and the the VCAT applications are taking forever. Um, yeah, I mean I've got one that's been been waiting for nearly eighteen months now, mm. and the tenants are like, oh, I'm sick of this. I'm going to put in a request for my bond to be returned, but it can't be returned because there's a VCAT um, application yeah. on foot. And I, I think that people think that it's almost like a way around that, that yeah. oh, I don't want to deal with the agent anymore. I'm sick of waiting for them. I'm just going to go straight there. But it's actually not. So I just thought yeah. maybe I should clarify that, that, you know, they are yeah. they are the same thing. You know, you still yeah. the, the VCAT applications there and we've all just got to wait, unfortunately. Yeah, it's a waiting okay. game. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sophie. You're always a wealth of knowledge and always give it to us straight, which is what we always like to know. Thank you so much. <laughs> now, if our listeners want to use your services, how can they get in contact with you? Uh, they can give me a call um, in um, my line in the office is 9810 um, mm-hmm. or they can email me at sophieline at jealouscraig.com.au. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And we'll also have your details in our show notes and on our social media. Thank you so much. Um, Now, next week, we have the amazing Luke Piccolo from Woodard South Yarra to talk to us about how interest rates have affected the market and how you can use your interest rate changes to your advantage when buying a new home. So don't miss it. Real Estate Right is produced by Real Copyright, one of Melbourne's leading real estate copywriting companies. And is written, hosted and produced by me, Sue Langada, with the support of my production and social media assistant, Lisa Fisher. All information given on this podcast is a guide only and delivered to help you understand the intricacies that can happen in real estate. We recommend that you get professional advice that is designed for your own personal circumstances. We would like to thank Podbean for hosting this podcast, Premium Beat for their music, Francis Morello for his voiceover, and Zoom for the recording. If you have a real estate story that is inspiring or a great how-to tip, please contact Lisa on 
5977 to find out how you can be a guest on Real Estate Right in 2022. If you would like to know more about our copywriting services, please email Lisa at orders at realcopyright.com.au. Thank you for listening to Real Estate Right. It's where buyers, sellers, renters and investors get their real estate right. Oh, 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 oh